0: Good morning, church. My name is Michelle, and if I have not met you, um, hello. It is great to be with you in your house this morning. Um, I'm a youth pastor. I work at a um, Pentecostal church in the eastern suburbs called Marinda City Church, um, and it's a privilege to be with you this morning. Um, Lee said give you a little bit of update. Well, youth camp, come on, that's exciting. If you're a young person... Um, Before I dip today, let's have a chat and um, we'll talk about how great Youth Camp was last year and how it's going to slay this year. And if you don't understand some of the language I'm using, that's good because you shouldn't be in that meeting. Um, (laughs) So that is okay. No, it is great to be with you. Um, I love working with young people. It's very exciting. Um, Since I last was with you people, you lovely people, I cannot um, remember. I was trying to pinpoint the date. A few things have happened. Um... I don't know, what can I tell you? Update of my life. Um, One of my little sisters had quite a serious accident last September. um, And so she was 21 weeks pregnant and fell down a flight of concrete stairs. She gave birth to a healthy baby three weeks ago. Um, Yes, amen. That is a praise Jesus moment. Um, I could write a whole sermon series on the provision of God through falling downstairs. Um, But God has been good, but it has required a lot of extra time and um, I guess support from the family, um, but God has been good and rich in his mercies and rich in his provisions and protections. Um, she dislocated and broke a knee, dislocated the opposite arm, and she has a three-year-old and one-year-old. It was very nasty, um, but anyway, God has been very good, um, and so that has been, I guess, chewing up a little bit more of my time than normal, but um, I can tell you God is good. And this is what we're going to be speaking about this morning, the mystery of God working in broken places. But before we get there, um, I was looking at some church stat um, type stuff, what makes a church healthy and what makes people spiritually connect inside a church. Laughter apparently is up there with spiritually growing churches. So it's good to laugh in church and it's good to applaud. Yes, yes, come on, let's go. So I thought I might hit both categories in one go by telling you a joke to start with that has absolutely nothing to do (laughs) with anything. Um, You ready? Brace yourselves. This, This first one. An elderly couple was attending a church service. About halfway through, she leans over to her husband and says, I've just had a silent passing of gas. What do you think I should do? And he leans back over to her and replies, Put new batteries in your hearing aid. (laughs) You're welcome. Um, This other one, I think, might be more relatable to what I'm speaking on this morning. We'll see. So this priest, right, he passes away and goes to heaven. Um, He arrives at St Peter's gates and joins the back of the queue. Shortly after, Bob the bus driver passes away. St. Peter sees Bob and waves at him and says, Bob, come on over. Please come through. You're very welcome. Please go in and enjoy heaven. You deserve it. The priest is a bit flabbergasted and confused. He rushes towards St. Peter and says, Your holiness, I don't understand. I've dedicated my entire life to God. How come Bob gets to jump the queue before everyone else? St. Peter replies, well, you see... When you, um, when you had your church services, all those who were attending were actually falling asleep. But when Bob was driving his bus, everyone was constantly praying. <laughs> You're welcome. I won't be here all week, but I will be for the rest of the sermon. And so hopefully this morning, let us pray that you stay awake. <laughs> At least so I can jump the queue into heaven, (laughs) if not the reason. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning in light of what you have done on the cross, in your mercies that are rich every morning. And we want to come and we want to sit before you right now. And as we come into your word, open our hearts, our minds and our ears to hear what you have to say. Lord Jesus, we pray that it would not be my words um, that are spoken, but your words and what is not of you that would just dissipate. Lord Jesus, we thank you that somehow in our brokenness, you use us as your vessels. So I just come in a place of surrender this morning, saying, Lord, use me in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd like to talk to you about the mystery of God working in broken places. In our lives, we often encounter brokenness, broken relationships, broken dreams. Broken bodies, broken hearts. It does not take much to convince anyone uh, that the world is a broken place. Um, Not much at all because the evidence is everywhere. Yet, in despite of this brokenness, God continues to have his way and work out his will through his people. The Bible is full of examples of God using broken people for his glory. Um, We don't have to look too far. And these guys like to stuff things up a ripper, and these are some of the stories I love. Noah, right? So what's Noah credited with? Being a man of righteousness and of great faith because there was no rain. He does the whole ark thing. What does he do after that? He goes and gets absolutely wasted and naked, all right? Bungles that one up a bit. Yet God, he's still accredited with being a righteous, faithful man. God uses him. We've got Moses. It was only recently, like, sometimes when you've grown up in Sunday school, you have to unlearn things. Only recently, it really dawned on me, before Moses ever led the Israelites, he was actually a murderer. Like, hello, red flag. Um, not, most of us would say there's not too much coming back from that. He had murdered someone. Um, and he then goes on to lead the Israelites. He then can, he stuffs up along the way as well. His leadership streak is not by any means perfect to the point where God says, actually, hold up, you're not going to the promised land. Yet he's one of the biggest leaders that we see in the Bible. We've got King David. Now, King David, a man after God's own heart. Throughout his life, he actually never turns himself to another God. Hence why I think he gets the title, a man after God's own heart. Except he's also known for murdering someone. Um, he's also known for having an affair. Uh, You put it through some modern-day lenses and we'd start to go, hang on a second, he probably did a bit of of severe persuasion at best with a married woman. He bungles things, right, yet God uses him. We've got Elijah and, you know, he has this massive showdown with the prophets of Baal and um, Baal and, you know, all of this stuff happens. What does he do? He has these great moments, these ministry moments, God moving, and then he runs off straight into the desert and has this massive woe is me where God's like, okay, take a nap, have something to eat. Like he ha- he has these moments, right, and he's prone to a bit of depression and anxiety there. We're giving the men a bit of a bad rap here that maybe only God uses broken men. Turns out there are some broken females as well um, that are listed <laughs> in the Bible. Um, just to list a few We've got Tamar, Um, we've got Rahab, both of them inside of the different elements of prostitution, yet God uses them and they end up in the lineage of who? Jesus Christ. And they're one of the few that are mentioned along with Bathsheba. God uses broken people for his purposes. And if he's not even done with using people, he can use animals. If God can speak through a donkey, maybe he can speak through you. <laughs> no, and maybe he can speak through our, myself as well because God is full of it. But my fa- one of my favourite guys in the Bible is Peter. Now, if you want to look at someone who is broken and stuffed up all the time, yet God uses, look no further than Peter, the Apostle Peter. From the time Jesus calls Peter, he's almost like this loose, sassy cannon that you never quite know where the guy's going to fire. Um, When Jesus calls him, you'll remember the story, it's a miraculous catch of fish, and so he'd been out fishing all night. He is a pro fisherman. He knows what he's doing, and Jesus says, hey, go back out and let your nets out. And they're like, master, we've been like, he's kind of like, we've been doing this all night, but because you say so. It's like this real, like, kind of answer. Like, I imagine Peter to be pretty sassy in this moment going, well, Lord because you say so and he's met with a bit of sarcasm but yet he catches this tremendous amount of fish and drops his nets and follows Jesus see Peter walks around with Jesus and he would have seen the most miraculous incredible things going on we have a lot recorded but I dare say there's a lot more that Jesus did in his life that is not recorded in the epistles um, or the gospels See, what Peter does is he starts to walk alongside Jesus. He starts to get a taste. Yet sometimes this faith that he has in Jesus and what Jesus is doing sometimes evades him. And sometimes someone gets in the way. And that always seems to be Peter who's getting in the way of Peter. You know, he stepped out of that boat um, onto the water, um, but yet fear, fear cripples him halfway. Because he, he takes his eyes off Jesus and he starts to sink because he looks at his surroundings instead of his master. Uh, there's also the time that, you know, he has a red-hot crack at rebuking Jesus. <laughs> He's like, I'll give it a go, rebuke the Messiah. Um, yet Jesus ends up saying, you know, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> and, like, you know, ends up, he ends up getting a bit of the rebuking from Jesus. Peter. He's all sorts of all over the place. Um, he can be a little bit hot-headed. I'm not sure if you remember the moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is being arrested. Um, he's been forewarned about what's about to come, yet Peter, bless his cotton socks, he's just like, I've got a knife, slices off the ear of one of the soldiers. Luckily for the soldier, Jesus is on hand and he happens to be this, like, Messiah that's really into healing and on goes back on the ear. But I think probably of my favorite bungles of Peter, it would have to be this one, Um, you know. And we know later that night, he's probably most famous for this. Jesus has said to him, hey, Peter, you are going to deny me. He's like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to deny you, I'm not going to deny you. He's like, you will deny me three times before the crow, um, before the rooster crows, (laughs) the other way around. It's not a crow, it's a rooster, before he crows in the morning. And he's like, no, adamant. You know what happens? One of the three people Peter denies Jesus to is equivalent to like kind of like a year eight schoolgirl. It's like a slave girl. Now, I work in high schools. Granted, in Peter's defense, year eight schoolgirls are scary, but <laughs> they all be like they're like different type of sassy. They'd be like mm, <laughs> like looking you up. At, but still, this is like equivalent to maybe a year eight slave girl. And he's like Jesus? What Jesus? I don't know Jesus. Like 10 minutes ago, he's like cutting off some guy's ear. Then he's like, no, nah, I don't want to be a part of it. He stuffs up, but yet what do we see when the day of Pentecost comes? What do we see Cross. We see a Peter who is sold out for Jesus, um, sold out for the cause. He goes on from being scared of a sassy year eight girl, or probably not even a sassy year eight girl, a, sass, a slave girl, and yet then it's believed that he was executed in a martyr's death for his faith, being hung upside down. That is what church tradition and history holds. What can cause such a tremendous change in a person is the redemptive power of the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ being shed for us. That's what changes things. Peter then goes on to be an early leader in the church. Um, and on the day of Pentecost, we see him giving a massive sermon, no longer scared to, de- to declare who Jesus is. He goes on to heal people. He ends up in prison for preaching the gospel, clearly completely having lost his fear of your eight girls. He's a massive, <laughs> he's a massive pillar in helping establish the early church. See, uh, Acts chapter 5. Now, I don't have PowerPoints for you this morning. So it, does anyone bring a hard copy of the Bible, the word, this morning? Oh, it's, it's a risky question in a church. Yet yeah, we have our apps, and I'll, I'll be honest, when anyone ever asked me that, because I go fully app only. So grab out your app if you'd like to follow along. Apologies, there is not a PowerPoint for this. But I am going to be reading from Acts chapter 5, the, um, verses 1 to 11. Now, this is a story... Um, the story of Ananias and Sapphira. So what, what's happened before uh, Acts chapter 5, at the end of Acts chapter 4, we see how the early church is starting to sell all their possessions, give it to the apostles, lay it at their feet, and then it gets distributed amongst the poor, like the um, proceeds from selling all their possessions. And it goes towards the poor and kingdom work. And then we insert the story of Ananias and Sapphira. This is chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong um didn't it belong to you before it was sold and after it was sold wasn't the money at your disposal what made you think of doing such a thing you have not just lied to human beings but to god when ananias heard this he fell down and died a great fear seized all that who heard what had happened then some young man came, some young men came forward wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, That's the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of men, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell. She fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, uh, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all that heard of these events. Close chapter, there is Peter's giving message for at least the next year, <laughs> done and sorted. Remember those guys? Um We're about to take up a collection for anyone who's ready for those buckets to go around. But seriously, like this is the type of stuff that he was dealing with, like the early church is sorting itself out. The question begs like, okay, surely they're not the only ones that have ever lied in the circumstances of the church or lied to the Holy Spirit or lied about giving. Why aren't we all dropping? I don't know. To be completely honest. But this is the type of stuff they're early dealing with in the early church, establishing doctrine, establishing different stuff. And Peter is clearly starting to exhibit church leadership and dealing with different scenarios as he starts kicking some serious ministry goals. He's dealing with all sorts. However, a few years down the track, the Apostle Paul is now in the game. Um, and in Galatians 2, Paul records this interesting interaction. When Cephas, now Cephas is a different way of saying Peter. um, When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged, um, belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that their hypocrisy, even in their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live, as, you, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force the Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? This is uh, Galatians 2 verses uh, 11 to 14. See, Peter had moved into this level of hypocrisy. Um, He had gone from saying, like, understanding coming out of his Judaism and going, I can eat with Gentiles, I can eat meat. He's gone through this whole journey, right? Then all of a sudden some of the Jews come and he's being really hypocritical in how he's teaching them. And it's actually leading this church a bit astray here. Paul's well within his rights, I guess, to call out the Apostle Peter. Peter is dropping the ball a bit at this front. Now, there's no recordings of the impact this was having on the church at the time, really. There's no like, hey, these people are really hurt, this is that, this is etc. However, one can only assume that when you have a leader of the church leading you, eating with you one day, then all of a sudden you're not good enough because some of his other buddies have rocked up. I can only imagine that is causing hurt, pain and strife amongst the people of God in that area. I can only imagine that people are feeling betrayed. People are feeling like they're not good enough. Am I not saved? Are they more saved than I am? Questioning their salvation in Jesus because of his actions. I dare say, hypothesising here that some people were hurt. Yet. Paul comes, has a bit of a word to Peter and probably points out how this is being harmful and what we can only assume happens is by the redemptive power of Jesus, by turning back and correcting in his interactions, after this incident is when Peter goes on to write two epistles and two letters to the church. It's after that being being 1st and 2nd Peter. See, even in our broken, messed up state... We have the ability, I broke a mess up. to say, we have the ability to hurt people um, and the body of Christ. But the real mystery is here that in that process, as we continue to surrender to Jesus, um, even as we're going through a redemptive process, even as we are turning to Jesus, it's in that process that he keeps taking us back. And we keep going back. And that is the real mystery that God still chooses to use us. He doesn't rule Peter out at that point, clearly, because the Holy Spirit comes upon him and he continues to write the word of God. He continues to go on and do things in ministry because Because God continues to work through broken people and broken places. Um, so it was a few years ago now I was working in a workplace um, that. I guess you could say I faced um, what you'd maybe say discrimination and bullying. Um, At the time, um, at the time I had gone, compared to what you see me now, I've gone through a little bit of a transformation process. I was probably maybe in the vicinity of a good twice the size I was and in this workplace I was doing a job and I was expected to do extra elements to that job Um, which actually formed a whole other job description. Um, And during that process, um, this job description and this job was up for offer, I was told by my employment and where I was employed, don't even bother applying for that job, you will not get it due to your weight. Um, Yeah, that's not ideal, right? And then through other conversations, there was other things that were said that were at times time were really hurtful. Um, And not to mention like like i said there was a bit of discrimination being blocked for things um then flat out told different things now part part of you goes oh that's not great what type of workplace would do this well the particularly sad part about this was i was working at a church at the time um and the way i was being treated would not be accepted in a secular workplace let alone the church um part of what was said to me in different things you know will even try and use the Bible to push that against you or there's a whole, like there was a whole lot going on um, that wasn't even close to godly behaviour. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever had a moment when you want God to go all Ananias and Sapphira's on someone. (laughs) (laughs) But if I was ever tempted... when I had someone up praying for me from the pulpit saying X, Y, and Z about my health, which had nothing to do with the situation, spreading rumours, telling lies, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. in those moments, maybe not full Ananias and Safaris, but at least a little bit of lightning action, I don't know. Sometimes we just want God to intervene in a massive way. It can be tempting in these moments to think that God has abandoned us um, in these moments of darkness and pain. Yet the truth is God never leaves us. He's always present. He's always working in the most unexpected ways to bring us hope and healing in the broken parts of our lives. See, the thing is you don't have to be around church for long uh, to run into a bit of conflict and pain. If I'm being honest, I do not know or understand or have a deep understanding of this church's history, um, where you have been as a people of God, and where you have moved in moments of brokenness or had conflict inside your church community. But having been in pastoral ministry for a few years now, knowing if a church has been around for even a tiny bit, it's more than likely that someone has been offended, someone has been hurt. And in these moments we go, well, this isn't quite right, is it? see why is this so prevalent in the church well I think we can start with the first problem being us we are humans and the body of Christ is made up of humans the second issue that I think constantly comes in is Satan has a very clear agenda kill steal and destroy and that's his memo he doesn't care how he goes after it Um, disunity in the body of Christ is the easiest way to go So the question is, how do we handle it? How do we go, what do we do when it all goes pear-shaped? Well, I thought I might share with you a few lessons I have learnt um, through some, you know, at times can be painful experiences um, working, like, well, you know, operating within the body of Christ. The first thing I want to point out is this. All things are reconcilable at the foot of the cross. Every issue, every pain, every hurt can go to the foot of the cross and be dealt with. Now, I know that sounds really, really simple and really, really basic. However, in the moment of high pain, all of a sudden, like I said, we're wanting the Ananias and the experience, yet maybe we're not getting it. And this seems to be the mystery of how God works. He can work in and through us during painful seasons and during painful circumstances but our responsibility is to continue continue to take it back to the foot of the cross so when I was dealing with some of these things at my last job for me taking it back to the foot of the cross and recognizing the fact that I am forgiven and that forgiveness passes straight back through me whether that person wants it or not regardless but constantly prostrating ourselves in, the, um, in, the, in a way that's saying, hey, Jesus, you can take over and you can take control, no matter what the pain or the hurt is, that we offer that forgiveness, whether it's taken up or not, and we need to let it go. We need to let Jesus come and transform us again and again and again. Because sometimes when other people aren't offering us much grace in the situation, like I remember I was sitting there and being told, um, like to be honest, it kind of at the moment like it's gotten to the point where what happened was almost comical. Um, when I'm being sitting told by someone who's forming part of my employment that you know um, that you know I'm my obesity related issues of X Y and Z, and I was like, who uses that term, right? like who even says that to someone's face and I'm saying you know well um that's not a very polite thing to say it's like well it's correct so therefore I no 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 you like you, when you're in those moments and someone's showing you such little grace right remembering I, I love that um you know the alabaster jar story where it's poured out and Jesus responds talking about the Pharisees and he says he who loves little is forgiven little Sometimes, and what I take from that is this, sometimes people who are showing us little love, the reason they're doing that, and this isn't passing judgment on them and saying they're not forgiven, but they haven't experienced the fullness and the richness of the grace that Jesus offers them. And they're not stepping into that. And I'm not, I'm not declaring, like, oh, that person's not saved. This, none of that at all. I believe that person is 100% saved. I don't think they're operating out of the fullness of the grace that Jesus gives them. And so sometimes we've got to stop, pause and go, but you know what I can do out of this? I will go grace upon grace because the grace upon grace that has been given to my life is what I'm called to demonstrate, regardless of how hurtful words might be. Point number two that I've learnt in some of this stuff. We all have the ability to be the perpetrator and drop the ball. I can guarantee you, as much as I go, uh, these are the stories of how people might have hurt me in ministry. There's probably 10 people that can come back with a story about how I've hurt them. Knowing and understanding that is not my desire, that is not my intent. I want to chase Jesus in all that I do. But at some point, because we are broken, if we take our eyes off the prize, we can also drop the ball. We're only one or two hurtful words away from hurting someone else. And knowing and recognising that the process of the cross is also us seeking forgiveness and reconciling in that way and going back to Jesus. We're never completely blameless, are we? But this is the mystery of God, that even in our brokenness, he chooses to use us. And even in our brokenness, I don't know about you, but you, you can sometimes, maybe you've been in a church scenario and it's like, this is not quite going right. But yet, God's still seeing things happen and be transformed. Like this church I was working at, we still saw the young people getting to know Jesus. We saw, still saw, like, you know, you're kind of like, oh, the cracks of the foundation about to burst and the whole thing falls down any second. Or does it prevail and continue to go? Why? Because, you know, it's upon this that Jesus will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. God continues to grow and we speak blessing over those places and we say, hey, Jesus, you come forward and you be king of our hearts, king of our lives and king of this place. God has so much more for us even though we have that ability. Our job is to live in a place of surrender. As much as we want a formula to say, Okay, X plus Z equals – algebra was not my thing. I'd never get where it went. But as much as we want a formula to say this plus this plus this equals this, we cannot work it out because we are not God. I cannot tell you why I can have really close intimacy with Jesus and be in a really close intimate place, step out and try and do ministry and nothing happens pray for someone, no healing comes. Why? I'm not God and there's no equation to God. I can't tell you why I can be in the midst of a struggle, in the midst of dealing with maybe some sort of sin or in the midst of, and then God uses me in some of the most powerful ways I've ever been used. I cannot tell you why. And I don't think the equation is sin and then he uses you. Because what does Roman tells of, <laughs> tell us? Let me be clear there. Like, shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? No. Like, we continue to go through the sanctification process. There is no formula. You know why? Because God is God and God chooses to move how he chooses to move and we get to come along for the ride, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, this is the mystery of who he is. He chooses to use us, broken people, to have his way and his will. So don't count yourself out because if the murderers, the prostitutes, and the donkeys of the Bible get a go... <laughs> Um, maybe you do too we can become really quickly really quick to rule ourselves out as well yet jesus is saying the invitation is there because i want to do something more and i want to do something with you it's not through our righteousness but his righteousness um like i said it still boggles my mind as to how and why god chooses to use us because even in our most intimate moments with Jesus, even in our most close moments to Jesus, even when we're doing the best, we're having our quiet times, we're reading the word, we're on fire, even at the peak of as good as we get, we are still not complete until we reach heaven. It's still not. And to think that we are is self-righteousness, not the righteousness of Jesus. So in that process, whether we're, you know, Trying to equate it, we can't formulize it and we can't equate it. We've just got to trust that Jesus has it. God's grace is at work in our lives, even in our brokenness and the brokenness of others. God is for the perpetrator as much as he is for the victim. He uses our trials and our struggles to bring us closer to him, to help us grow and to bring us to a greater maturity and understanding of his love for us. But this, we, this can be a hard concept to grasp, especially when we're in the midst of pain and suffering. It can be difficult to see how God could possibly be using our brokenness for good, all these broken places, all the brokenness of others. But we must trust in him that, he, that his ways are not our ways and that he is working all things for the good of those who love him. So in the face of our brokenness, let us not lose heart. All the brokenness of others. Let's hold on to the promise um, that God is working in us, even when we can't see it, even when we can't feel it, and let us seek Him in all things, trusting that He will always bring beauty from ashes and hope from despair. Uh, May we be encouraged by the words of Isaiah, the Lord, and um, who writes, "The Lord will." guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and he will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose water never fails. That's Isaiah 58 verse 11. Um, Let's pray this morning. Lord Jesus, we want to first thank you for the way that your body was broken for us. And for the way that in that process, we were redeemed. In that process, we were given new life. We want to thank you for your shed blood. But in this moment, Lord God, we want to come before you. And I get this sense that a few people this morning are struggling with the idea and even just talking about church conflict has triggered a few thoughts in your mind yet Jesus is saying I want to take that those painful experiences those painful moments and I want you to lay it at the foot of the cross because I want to take that over again because it's not yours to hold the offense is not yours to hold and holding on to offense on behalf of someone else is only going to lead to even more bitterness than if the offence was yours to begin with. And he's saying, hey, come here. I want to take it all because I've already taken it all when I died on that cross. So Lord Jesus, in our hearts this morning, we want to come back to a place of surrender, of letting it go, of trusting you and trusting and putting faith in the fact that we don't understand you fully and we don't understand your ways fully, but we trust you fully, Lord Jesus. And we trust that you can make a way forward in and through our brokenness and the brokenness of other people because we are being made whole and we are being made whole through you as you take us through a process of sanctification, as you will take us home to be with you one day. But until then, Lord Jesus, may we take all things back to your cross in surrender to who you are, what you have done and what you are doing for us. We give this back to you in Jesus' name, amen.